everyone, and welcome to Triple F TV. Still in the tour on the hottest topics of film boxing entertainment today. Today we bring you our first episode of Boxing Center. Detailing what or rather who we consider our top 10 heavyweights all time today. So, joining us, as will be for each of these episodes, we have the, my co host, Matthew. <laughs> he will wake up in a minute, he hasn't pronounced that one. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, as you guys know, Matt is going to be hearing him. He'll be calling Matt a lot, I don't mind stuff. Um, we'll be helping to run this boxing segment, which, as everyone knows, um, Fighting Film TV is joint film and boxing entertainment. You won't find a weird in this, but we'll be doing that. So, Obviously, we have very similar views about how we're going to run this and what we do with the So, this is a very problem. Um, obviously, for the first time, you're going to, um, well, for the first time, you're going to be ready to put it out in other weeks, but we hope you enjoy this anyway. Um, so, hopefully, as time goes on, we hope to get some information on this. So, without further ado, let's kick things off, Matthew. That actually had a ring to it, mate. <laughs> kick things off. <laughs> that was... That was quite funny, to be honest. That had quite a ring to it, isn't it? Let's kick things off, Matthew. <laughs> I quite like that. I might use that from now on, to be honest. Okay, so, starting from number 10, um, one I believe to be Matthew's um, all-time favourite fighter, or maybe that's what I think, is um, number 10. Uh, obviously, one thing I forgot to mention is we're going from 10 to 1, from 10 being the least to 1 being the best, but regardless of where they are on this list, um, if they're on this list at all, we consider them one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. So now that I've got that out of the way, number 10 we have the Bronze Bomber, Deontay Wilder. Now, there's been a lot surrounding Wilder recently. Um, obviously, it's because he took his first loss in the rematch he had in February to Tyson Fury, which ended up being um, probably one of the last fights I think anyone saw. Because, I mean, obviously now this, we're starting this, we're locked out. So, it's kind of like one of the things where I feel like January had a bill from Matchroom, which was Quig versus Carroll. But other than that, the last bill we had was. Um, Wilder Fury 2, and obviously that ended much different to what anyone thought, right? We expected Tyson to be the better boxer, but we thought Wilder might do what he did again, and land himself the lucky right hand of the gods, um, but it didn't happen, which quite surprised, was quite surprising. Um, so what, what do you think of that win by Tyson Fury, Matt, actually? Um, well, I'm surprised that he actually knocked him down, firstly. Yeah, it was. I was surprising because it's. I mean, we always knew that Tyson Fury technically was the better boxer of the two, but 
Tyson's never had that one punch equalizer power. That's one. That's one area I feel like Anthony Joshua will be the superior if they have their undisputed fight because Tyson has more skill, but Joshua's got the more power when putting together combinations. And this was the same case for Deontay Wilder. I honestly thought that is because he's got he's blessed with the right hand, which I think might even rival that of Mike Tyson. That might be pushing it a bit, but. I think um, Wilder's got that really strong power, so I I thought what would have happened is, as most of his fights do go, Wilder would have been behind in the scorecards, and if he was to win at all, I feel like he would have scored himself the knockdown in one of the later rounds, and maybe even pull a draw, because I was genuinely surprised that Tyson won, because, well, not just for that aspect, um, it was how he was in America to start with, I realised that um, Fury's comments were realistic, saying that he's never going to win a decision in America, uh, so he had to knock him out to win, which is obvious because the Americans are a bit biased, but it's just how, you know, the manner that Tyson Fury did it, it was like Wilder was never in there, which very, which very surprised me, and we can see Wilder making a lot of excuses and things like that, but people deal with losses in different ways. Um, so... What we're going to do for each of these fighters, guys, is we're going to quickly go through, um, so we do key attributes first, so we've already discussed that for Wilder, it's his one-punch power. Um, we'll go on to his background, and then we'll start talking about some of his notable fights, so why we've put him here. So if we're moving on, um, Deontay Wilder, for his generalised background, he won the bronze medal in 2008 for the Beijing Olympic Games, so he's a bronze medalist. Um, which obviously he got his Bronze Bomber title from. But one thing, I don't know if you actually realise this, Matt, he actually nicked his name, well, not entirely, but mostly, from Joe Lewis. He, uh, because Joe, Joe Lewis, I think, was called the Brown Bomber or something like that. So the fact that Wilder, he's changed it up by obviously the fact he won the Bronze Medal, so that booing around it, he changed it to the bronze bomber so that's technically not his title that's yeah but it makes sense well it, it makes sense because he's got that one punch equalizer and um i can't remember too well his um olympic fight but i do know that he laid a number on the, uh, the guy on the receiving end of his right hand so you know that was you i would say you you wouldn't pay me ways. 10 grand to get in there and get hit by Wilder. You wouldn't. <laughs> you probably could. Um, but yeah, so um, other than that, Wilder hasn't got this huge amount of background, but he won the bronze medal. And his very first title win, where he picked up the WBC, was against Bermain Stiverne for the WBC. Which, okay, Stiverne at the time, I felt was... I wouldn't say he was a contender, but he was certainly a tough cookie. He wasn't going to go out of there without a fight. And Wilder Schumacher, because the first fight, kind of, it took him 12 rounds to win by a decision to get that from Stiverne. And but it was like the rematch that Stiverne had with Wilder. It's like that didn't, that didn't even, that's like that didn't happen. Like, I'm not joking. Where was Stiverne? He just stood there. <laughs> Well, that's not exactly a lie, because well, we, well, Wilder's starting to accuse uh, Fury Camp of spiking his water and things now. But all right, so we've discussed that. That was the WBC title. Now, the if we talk about these fights in chronological order, the next one we've got 
is his first fight with Tyson Fury, and where he came to a draw. Now, that fight, I feel like it didn't expose as much as the rematch, but I feel like in that perspective, uh, Fury has done a lot to show the type of fighter that Wilder is. Um, because Fury's always been one of those fighters that he wants to try and pressure you. He will constantly try to pressure you. And I felt like at that time, Wilder had a little bit more going for him because he was actually much better in defense than he was in the rematch. Um, and well, obviously he scored that lucky knockdown in the last round that everyone thought, right, he's not getting up, which made Fury a lot more popular, a lot more famous, because they now know Tyson Fury as, like, that round is his resurrection, so he that's kind of doing a lot for his image. Um, but I think Wilder, I'm not joking, I think he's found his match with Tyson Fury. Um, it was to the point where, I don't know exactly, no one can count the Bronze Bomber out, because, well, he has that power to put anyone down. But, I mean, I do feel like with Tyson Fury, he's kind of met his match. But anyway, we've now got the next one, which the only reason we've noted this is one, and we'll have a chat about this in a second. The only reason I've noted this one, Dan, is, well, Brazil, uh, Dominic Brazil, he got knocked out in round one for KO from Wilder, but that was when he already had a loss on his record. Don't ask me how he managed to work his way up to being mandatory for Wilder, but it was how he took a mandatory fight for his first title defense against Anthony Joshua, because Joshua had previously just floored Martin, which was, he was a, that was disgusting fight from Martin, that was like, that was awful performance. Don't ask me how he's managed to work his way back up into the IDF, <laughs> don't know how that's happened. Um, but I mean, well, what did you think of that, Matt? Because it took Joshua seven rounds to put Brazil on the canvas and finish the fight. But Wilder, he managed to cut through his defense and get him out of there in round one. I mean, well, it, it does. Well, it's how I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Brazil doesn't really have a lot left because you've heard of his smack talk on Twitter to try and call out Dillian White. But I mean... It's to the point where he's desperately trying to fight the big names to keep himself relevant and it's not really working for him because he's had his five minutes of fame, you could argue. He's been in with Joshua and Wilder and that's not really happened now. And I know he's talking on like Twitter saying, oh, I think I could beat Tyson Fury. But the thing is, everyone just wants to cash in on Fury's new popularity and... Well, of course, yeah. I mean, Tyson Fury, I think his purse was like 22, 23 million for that fight with Wilder. He wants to be. He's the highest paid um, combat athlete currently. I think that's that's followed by Conor McGregor, then Anthony Joshua, then Deontay Wilder, and I can't remember who the last one was. It was... Probably Floyd uh, yeah, probably Mayweather, I'd assume, but I don't know if he still gets paid. It's just that he's rich because of the amount he earned for that McGregor fight, which was ridiculous. Like, a guy who's not even a boxer and he earns more than he did when he fought Canelo. That made no sense. <laughs> that literally made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. How do you get, like, over 100 mil for fighting an MMA fighter in his first boxing fight? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, everyone knew that McGregor was never going to beat Mayweather. But, well, credit well, to him, but he he only really had a couple of rounds, really, where he looked like he was there. The rest of them was just like pillow punches. 
I'd say the start he was doing alright, then just worked his way through his stamina. Well, his stamina is a problem because I feel like with McGregor, he wasn't used to wearing the gloves and having to swing a lot of power with the gloves. And because he's used to having those little mitts on for his MMA fights and using his legs as well. So he's, his body weight is more distributed. But when he got into a boxing ring, that's not something he was used to. And when it came into the later rounds, he just didn't have the stamina. Um, okay, so we've got another two for Wilder. It's rematch. I'm pretty sure you could agree with this one, Matt, against Luis Ortiz. That... That was probably, arguably, one of Wilder's better fights. Um, I would say that he did well, but he just took his time with it and it worked. Yeah, it was how, I feel like, and I do respect Wilder for this, he wasn't scared to sacrifice a few rounds, because I think Wilder, the look on his face, he he knew he was sacrificing rounds, and... I think that was a very clever tactic, and I don't know why he didn't employ it in the Fury rematch, but um, it was when he let Ortiz gain his confidence because he knew he was winning rounds. And that was to the point where Ortiz felt that he could pressure Wilder more because he wasn't landing the right hand. And that confidence meant that Ortiz lowered his hands a little bit more down in the seventh. And that's when Wilder went straight through the middle with a right hand and put into the fight, which... I'll be honest, I've seen that knockdown from seven different angles, and literally, that is intense. Well, Ortiz, much to his credit, he took these right hands, and he wasn't out cold. He was on the canvas, but he weren't out cold. I think he did, but he was stopped on his feet. I think that was a TKO. Um, That was much like Frank Bruno, remember, when he... um, Every fight he had with like Tyson, Lewis, like all of those fights, he was stopped on his feet. And I feel like Bruno took a, a fair share of beatings and he bled a fair amount in his career. Um, but that was because I feel like I don't know whether to call him stubborn or brave because it was one of those things where Bruno never ended of had a fight loss on the canvas. He always finished on his feet, much to his credit. Okay, and the one everyone's talking about, which I felt like we've talked about already enough, is his one and only loss to Tyson Fury. Now, I think everyone knew what was going on, really, because the one thing I noticed about Tyson Fury is he seems to be able to learn a lot about a fighter. And the thing is with Tyson Fury, you can't fight him the same way in two fights. And I think that was Wilder's issue, was that... um, the first fight gave Fury a lot of information that he needed to know, and I feel like the thing Wilder should have done in his training camp for that fight is he should have learned, I think, that he couldn't fight Tyson the same way. He needed a new game plan, because Tyson Fury was expecting him to do what he did, and that's why his game plan worked, because Wilder wasn't fighting him a different way. The thing is with Joshua, I feel like Joshua would probably do that when he got in the ring with Fury. Regardless if he won or lost the first fight, he knows you can't fight Tyson Fury the the exact same way in two fights. So I feel like mixing up your game plan, mixing up your strategy, is something that will probably win you a fight. But all right, so that is what we've got for the Bronze Bomber. Is there anything else you think you want to add on that before we move on, Matthew? No, that's (laughs) fine. Okay, then. So... 
Number nine, and again, I want to express that these are our views, these are our lists, so don't sleep us all for this. We've picked number nine for the Brixton body snatcher, Dillian White. Now, the reason we've picked White is be- and over Wilder for this spot is because we feel like Wilder, all he, had, all he has in the armory, really, which was exposed in the Fury rematch, was his one-punch equaliser. And if he can't set it up, he doesn't have a lot left. And I feel Dillian White does. He's got the resilience to be able to stay in there in the later rounds and really take a punch. And and obviously, everyone's seen his fight against AJ. And that was the point where he did catch Joshua in the second round. But it was to the point where Joshua, arguably, he had that much hatred for Dillian White that that fight was only ever going to go that way. And... I think that was credit to him, that was his only loss on his record, Dillian White, and he never again got stopped, and if anyone's seen his fights after Joshua, you could see that it's following a trend, and White is, he's in there to stay, no matter if he wins or loses, he's going to be in there to stay, and Dillian White, he's kind of like, I could compare him to a Mike Tyson in some ways, because he has the power. If you've seen his fight with Joseph Parker, you've seen his fight against Lucas Brown, which, oh my God, he annihilated Brown. I'm not joking. That was probably one of the best knockouts I've ever seen from a fighter, especially at heavyweight. Uh, literally, Dillian left right two hooks, and he Bra- Brown was all over the floor. He looked like a bag of potatoes. <laughs> that was a, that was impressive. Did you remember that fight? I do not, but I, I saw the knockdown, but I can't remember that. Yeah, that's, that was really impressive. I'm going to have to rewatch that at some point. But, okay, so, Dillian White, obviously his key we have is power. No one in the heavyweight division at the moment, I would like to specify that, present times, is going to compare to Deontay Wilder. But, Dillian White still has that strength power that he can stay in there till the bitter end. And... Well, everyone knows, if you've seen his promos and things like that, or you've seen any of his fights, the latest advertisement for his fight against Alexander Povetkin, which, I'm not joking, I'm really hyped for that fight. And it's how, obviously, Povetkin and White have arguably the two best left hookers in the heavyweight division. So, it's that's going to be an interesting one, but White as well can really tank a shot if you watch his fights against Parker and Rivas. He sticks in there in the later rounds. He went down on the canvas once apiece in both of those fights, and White gets straight back up. He never looked bothered for more than a minute, and he's fine again, which is one of the things I feel like he has over others in the heavyweight division, is just he's got that brutal resilience. But a little bit of interesting background here for Dillian White. Did you know that he's actually had one MMA fight? Oh, I did not know that. But I've heard that he's, he's, he's going to do a fight. He, yeah, that was a lot of talks um, between Hearn and Dana White. He wants to fight Francis Ngannou in, I think it was two-fight deal for one of the, like a boxing and one of them in a cage, which, to be honest, I think that's good because... I mean, I don't know how Dillian's going to react in an MMA ring because he's just got the amount of the amount of weight he put on to be a resilient, brutal heavyweight in boxing uh, is enough to keep him on his feet. And I don't feel like, for that reason, 
he's going to be able to move back quickly in an MMA, MMA ring anymore. I'm not gonna lie, he would get destroyed in the MMA fight. That Udanu, yeah, that's that's a weird name. Though. I've heard of him, and I'm pretty sure. He's I'll be honest. I think I don't watch MMA, but from what I've heard from other people, I believe that Udanu. I think he might be the Derek Chisora of the MMA, if you know what I mean, that kind of fighter. I think he would, yeah, I think he would beat him in the MMA. Yeah, I think Dillian would probably knock him out round 7-8, I think, if he got in the ring. But um, his MMA yeah. fight it was quite impressive, believe it or not. He won it by knockout in 12 seconds in the first round. 12 seconds. Yeah. Dillian literally <laughs> came over with a kick, whacked him with a hook, and that was it. He was he was out, which he can kick. Well, <laughs> he hasn't done it in a while, has he? But uh, that was quite impressive. I'll be honest. I, I watched that, and I was just kind of like, I don't know how well known the guy he fought was, but apparently they say he can whack, and mm. well, just to knock anyone out who's in the professional ranks in twelve seconds, that's a great achievement. But um, okay, mm. so well, he was a former kickboxing champion as well which is probably explains a lot. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, long-awaited... Now, this is the thing everyone's talking about. Dillian White's long-awaited title shot at the WBC. Now, I mean, he had a, he had a chance to take before Joshua mm-hmm. was... Well, I guess you could arguably say Joshua was a champion, but he wasn't, like, the champions we know as official. He was the British and Commonwealth champion in the fight against Dillian White. And he, well... It was kind of like one of those things where, because Joshua obviously hasn't, didn't get all of his WBO and IBF titles at that current point. And, well, obviously that was White's arguably only loss to a world champion, which isn't, that's nothing to be ashamed of because we all know how good Anthony Joshua can be. And, well, yeah. if you think about it as the um, time comes on, how he's not had a WBC title shot as a mandatory contender is strange to me. The WBC must be really corrupt. It, it's just... <laughs> if, I, if I'm thinking about it from a logical point of view, I feel like the the, um, the WBC, they were really, really protecting Deontay Wilder, and they knew how much of a threat Dillian White can be in the division, especially after watching his fights with Parker. And, well, it was how... Everyone knew that Wilder didn't have the strongest legs, but he had the strongest power. So it was one of those points where they were saying, what's going to win, power or resilience? That was what the fight was going to be. And, well, it didn't look like at that current point where it was to the point where Wilder could win that fight from how Dillian was progressing in his fights. He was doing that where it didn't look like it. And I do feel like the WBC, despite being like founded from like Mexico and things like that, they love the Yanks having the belts because, well, that gets them a lot of publicity. And ever since Lennox Lewis, Britain has had their fair share of like holding the belts. So it's one of those things where the Klitschko's had ruled over the division when Lewis, Lewis retired for about 10 years or something like that. And, well, the WBC mm-hmm. wanted the Americans to have the belts and they were protecting Wilder for that reason, I feel like although that was never official, but the amount of excuses the WBC are coming out with, Dillian actually took legal action against them recently. Yeah, he filed himself a um, he filed himself a report to get himself a title shot, but 
as well. I feel like the WBC really like the publicity that Tyson Fury is giving them at the moment um, because, well, it's to the point with the amount of excuses they're coming out with. It's um, they were talks to make Tyson Fury the franchise champion so he can avoid all mandatory contenders. Right. First off, that's stupid. Because, well, what's yeah. all of this? I mean, I'm not not to take anything away from Dillian White or Tyson Fury, but what is the WBC doing with all of these interim diamond belts, franchise champions? For God's sake, just stick with one title. And it's it's quite irritating, to be <laughs> honest. And because everyone knows the interim was given to White just to shut him up. And, well, the franchise champion means that then Tyson Fury doesn't have to fight Dillian White because... I mean, I'm pretty sure you've seen the footage, haven't you, Matt? Because that leaked out um, a couple of weeks ago and it's blurry. So everyone is a little bit on the fence, but it looks pretty real where Dillian actually floored Tyson Fury ahead of his fight with Vladimir Klitschko in sparring. So that was a very good combination. And if and if that is real and Tyson, um, when he's been going backwards and forwards with White on Twitter, he's never denied it, has he? So... It's one of those things where I feel like yeah. if that's happened, then that's probably why that Fury's trying to avoid Dillian White. But that's stupid to be making him franchise champion because that then means much credit to Dillian White because he deserves it. He gets assigned WBC heavyweight title. But it's to that point then where Tyson Fury, all he's got is the lineal belt, right? Which, all right, is still a belt. But, I mean... What's, what's all this deal? He's going on with signing a deal for financial terms with Anthony Joshua for a two-fight deal in, well, next year. And, well, it's like, if he loses his title, that won't be for Undisputed anymore. So what what really does Joshua have in that fight? He, he has everything to lose and nothing to gain. So it's just kind of like, well, why would he do it? He'd rather just go and fight White for a rematch for Undisputed, wouldn't he? Like, it's like, it's kind yeah. of pointless to me where I feel like Tyson Fury, if this is on him or the WBC, I can't tell which one, probably the WBC. But if it's Fury, then I feel like he's manipulating all of these fighters and he's playing mind games because I feel like as long as he's holding on to the WBC title and obviously Joshua wants to become undisputed as much as he does, then he he knows he's going to get a deal with Joshua because he wants it and Fury much like Wilder, who avoided Joshua for a couple of years, it was like he doesn't care where he fights. He doesn't care what the deals are. He just wants to fight, which, respect to him, is the way you should be. But it's like fighting for undisputed and everything, that was the reason behind it. And while he was holding the belt, he was like, okay, let's sign a deal. Deal signed. Now it doesn't matter because he's got a signature on a piece of paper. He can now do whatever he likes, which I think is quite manipulative. But then again, it might become more embarrassing if Tyson Fury loses because he did all of that. And if he loses, <laughs> then that doesn't mean a lot for his career, does it? Oh, my John God, Fury. he's a joke. You see all of his interviews where he's kind of like everyone's saying, oh, John Fury predicted how Fury Wilder would go. No, he didn't. He's just by towards his son and he's kind of like they can't beat Tyson <laughs> and it's kind of like, well one day someone will mate because he's running his mouth and one of these days a cocky fighter will get put down it's always happened I mean look at Prince Nassim Hamid um, when he was around he was constantly showboating and for a large part of his career he got away with it but he didn't get away with it forever but alright so I think that's mm. enough for Dillian White okay so, wow, <laughs> half an hour in. This will be a long podcast for you guys. Hope you enjoy it. 
Um, number eight we've mm. got, and this was actually Matty's suggestion, which I do agree with, is um, Dr. Steelhammer, Vladimir Klitschko. Now, I know, I know, obviously, we were planning on doing a mix of present fighters, but we kind of classed Klitschko as still a present fighter because it was only like two years ago he retired. So it's, I mean, he's still kind of there. Like, if he wanted a comeback fight, there's still area where he could. So that's why we're classing him as a present fighter at the moment. So, all right, looking at a little bit of a background for him, he won the gold medal in 1996 in the Atlanta Olympic Games for Ukraine. So he's a gold medalist, which means, obviously, it's now pretty clear why he became a world champion. That seems to be the trend. Um, he was holding all the titles that Joshua held. I don't think... I don't think Vladimir ever won the WBC. I might be wrong. I'd have to look that up. Um, but he, his first yeah. world title was against Chris Bird for the WBO. Now, interesting fact, Matt, I think probably everyone knows this by now, but you know him and his brother Vitaly Klitschke? Well, you know, yeah. both between them, between them, they ruled the heavyweight division for about 10 to 12 years. And it was like Vladimir had a large portion yeah. of the belts and Vitaly had the other belts because he won them in a vacant fight when Lennox Lewis retired and vacated all his titles. So it was one of those things where, and this is quite an interesting fact, obviously we both know Vitaly and Vladimir both had their losses, but the interesting thing was when Vladimir got beat, Vitaly would fight the person that beat him and win, and the same would go for Vladimir if Vitaly was beaten. So collectively, between them, so the Klitschko brothers, they couldn't really be beaten if you've put it into perspective, which was very interesting. And then Vitaly decided mm. to drop boxing and become governor of Ukraine. So there you go. <laughs> but anyway, right. So the attributes we think Vladimir has now it's been proven because, I mean, I think his most famous fight, the one he got a lot of praise for. And I have to admit, it's one of my most favorite fights was his fight, his last one, actually, against Anthony Joshua. Because... That was quite impressive. That was a very entertaining fight. Both fighters got put down. Joshua once, but Vladimir three times. And it was that all-out war that we weren't expecting because everyone was saying, oh, will father time catch up with Vladimir Klitschko? The fact he's 41, but credit to him, 41 years old and he could still whack. I mean, that doesn't age doesn't always mean everything for fighters. I mean, look at Povetkin. He's gone on. The only two losses he's had is Joshua and Klitschko. And now he's going on to fight Dillian White. So he's getting all the big fights and he's in his <laughs> 40s. So he's doing really well. Mm. But, um, okay. So mm. he's got the skill. We all know Vladimir's got the skill. He can put combinations together. He does quite well. He's got... He he's a very well. good technical fighter. If you, if you watch this fight, you know Vladimir never breaks eye contact with his opponent. So he's kind of he's watching their body language. He knows which direction they're going to turn. And that's why I've seen Vladimir duck some big hooks in his time, which I thought were pretty impressive. He hasn't got the equalizer power, but he does have an he does have a whack as well because he's got a fair share of knockouts on his record. But the thing I think does it for Vladimir is his reach. And I'm pretty sure you can agree with that. It's like Vladimir's arms are huge. And it's to the point where I think he could reach someone from like halfway across the ring if he wanted to, if he jumped at it. It was, I'm not joking, how he managed to um, get onto Tyson Fury when they fought was quite impressive. I mean, Fury dominated Klitschko in that fight in, on the points basis, but it was how Klitschko never, it, was, it wasn't a case that he couldn't ever get Tyson Fury. And Fury knew 
he had to stay back. But Klitschko still managed to land jabs on him, so it showed his reach. But, all right, so let's go on to some fights. Now, this one I was really excited for, and I watched this live, but I think this was pretty... This is pretty poor performance from the opponent, considering I quite respected him before this. His unification... Now, I want to clear that up because people get that confused. Unification, not undisputed. Undisputed for all the titles. This one meant he's just fighting an opponent who has a title. Doesn't mean it's all of them. Um, but he went to unify his titles with David Hay, um, and he won that via unanimous decision in 12 rounds. Now, credit to David Hay. Vladimir never knocked him out, but there was a lot of blood boiling in that fight, and I've never seen Vladimir that intense with the press conferences and build-ups and things. And it was, if you're just thinking about it, I think David Hay, there was a new side of him when that fight was coming. I, I don't know if he was just promoting it, but regardless, that was kind of wrong. He showed himself with holding Vladimir's head, standing on top of a killed Vitali. So basically he's saying, oh, help the Klitschko brothers. Now we know that David Hay could do a lot in cruiserweight and he came up to heavyweight and did a fair bit. But it was how that was just, I, I've never heard of David Hay doing that, which that surprised me. And for the first time in a while, I wanted I wanted a Brit to get beaten. Like, it, that was really strange for me. I wanted Klitschko to beat him, and he did. But David Hay was a bit like a spoiled child in there. He had about he had about two rounds, <laughs> with, and he thought, I'm not able to catch this guy. I don't know why, but I'm not able to catch him. He keeps clipping me as well with the counters. So he kept throwing himself on the floor, pretending that it was Vladimir that pushed him and things like that. And the ref caught onto it, and I thought this was really satisfying. The ref caught onto what he was doing, and when he did it again in the tenth after being warned, he had a point deducted from him for doing it, which I thought was quite funny. And then you look at the post-fight press conference he did, and he blamed it on his middle toe being broken. Like honestly, where the <laughs> hell did that come from? <laughs> but what, did you see that fight? Did, did you see that fight? Um. Yeah, I, think yeah I, I was really surprised with David Hay. I, I really was. Um, he shouldn't have done why, that. Why, though? Like, he didn't have any kind of moral, like, things against the Klitschkos. They didn't have anything against him. So why on earth? I don't know. Maybe he just won. He probably just... He probably gave up and just knew he was going to lose. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to secure a oh, fight man. with Klitschko by saying, I'm going to make you look bad and whatever, because that's how Tyson Fury does it. Maybe he's just copying him. Because, believe it or not, David Hay was meant to fight Tyson Fury. <laughs> um, but that never happened for some reason. Yeah. Pulled out with uh, like a shoulder injury, which was fake. Found out later to be fake. But, um, okay, so moving on, he had... Now, this was stupid. I don't know why this happened. They put um, the champ heavyweight champion, Vladimir Klitschko, on an undercard for... Um, for a, a unification fight was on the undercard with Vladimir Klitschko. Um, of a middleweight fight, which I thought was really odd. But regardless, Alexander Povetkin, um, of which that was Povetkin's first loss, he had himself a title. I think it was WBA, I think, or maybe WBO, one of the two. Um, and Vladimir took the belt from him by a decision in 12. Now, I'll be honest, um, Povetkin, credit to him, he was still trying to land his hooks. Vladimir still trying to land his signature jab and everything, but... That fight was kind of boring. Now, I was saying it because every time Povetkin tried to throw a large power shot, Vladimir would just tie him up. And that was the whole fight. And 
it was one of those points where that's the only time I've ever watched an Alexander Povetkin fight that I haven't been interested in. Which that's kind of odd for me. I, I don't I don't expect that you probably would have seen that one, Matt. I mean, I wouldn't exactly recommend it, but I think I might have seen. I don't remember. I think I might have looked at it and then got bored of it, hmm. like you said. Yeah, well, that was the whole fight. It was um, Vladimir landing his jabs, um, Povetkin trying to come in with a hook, and then getting tied up. That was it. But, um, all right, so moving on. Um, Anthony Joshua, he, um, he's going to have him as his mandatory soon. But Vladimir um, Klitschko for Kubrat Pulev. And that is Kubrat Pulev's only loss. But just watching his fight against Klitschko, I don't think he really has... Well, I wouldn't say he has no chance because everyone has a chance, but it looks unlikely that he's going to be able to beat Anthony Joshua. Because, well, yes. I don't know if you saw it. It was only a five-rounder because Klitschko knocked him out. But it was how um, Pulev is doing the one thing that Lennox did for a couple of his fights that, thankfully, Emmanuel Stewart managed to get out of him because it's a really devastating habit that some fighters have, especially at heavyweight. They pour with the jab which is basically where they don't put any power behind the jab. They don't send it out straight. It's like they're touching like your the opponent's gloves to kind of feel them out. And it's one of those things where that's a very hard habit to get out of. It's kind of like when you're smoking, that you just find it very hard to get out of it. And, well, <laughs> it was like... He just... I don't think he can really do that much because, I mean, you watch his fights with Huey Fury and everything. Okay, fair enough. He beat Huey Fury, but... It's, it's one of those things where I feel like Huey Fury, much like Lennox Lewis, had a little bit of a dip in his career, but he's able to pick himself up again. So, yeah, I mean, hmm. that's nothing much to go on for that one, but I thought I'd add it in because Pulev's becoming a bit relevant at the moment. He had his he had his loss. Hmm. Um, wasn't his only loss but um, at that time, but he lost to Tyson Fury by unanimous decision. This is one of the reasons I think Anthony Joshua has a decent chance against Fury because uh, you just put it into perspective. It doesn't mean too much, but it's something to think about. That Tyson Fury was only able to beat Vladimir Klitschko by unanimous decision. Anthony Joshua wasn't scared. He went in for an all-out war. He had himself on the canvas once, but he managed to knock out Vladimir Klitschko in round 11, which was a very impressive fight. But again, it's one of those things where put that into perspective joshua has a bit more power and the thing is the one thing i feel joshua has that wilder doesn't is he can distribute that power via a combination rather than just a right hand because if it's only one punch then it's kind of like fury knew that the only power punch he was at danger from was the right hand so he just had to find a way to block that off but with joshua you don't know what punch he's going to put his power in so that makes it a for Fury to train for that kind of style. Um, but then the last one yeah. were, that is last one we've added for Klitschko was his TKO round 11 loss to Anthony Joshua. One of the best fights. I mean, I'm not joking. If I, if I could have at the time, I would have gone to see that fight at Wembley. I'm pretty sure you would have as well. That was, a very good fight. That was one of the yeah. things um, I'll tell our listeners now that they're listening. It's just that... Um, you know, we were, we're talking about wanting to go see an AJ fight, but believe it or not, literally about two days, I think, ago now, we, me and Matt, if this um, coronavirus pandemic wasn't around, we would have been and seen Anthony Joshua at Tottenham against Kubrat Pulev. So 
that that would have been a very good fight. But I mean, we haven't lost hope yet because I'm thinking. Yet they've Eddie Hearn said we're going to put on Joshua Pulev for a very small number of VIP matchroom customers um, in like a very small crowd in like a small venue. Um, so Joshua still has some form of a crowd, but when the pandemic calms down enough, um, I feel like because the WBO don't look like they're going to give Joshua any time after Pulev to be able to go straight into a Tyson Fury um, undisputed, they want him to fight their mandatory and their mandatory is Alexander Usyk. So thing is on recent interviews, Usyk saying his dream fight is AJ at Wembley. So if that's the foreign fighter saying it, then well, really what does Eddie Hearn and AJ have to lose? They're going back to Wembley. So, so I mean, yeah. that would be great. I think that would be one of the one. Yeah, it would be one point. of the ones where me and Matt, I don't think we pass that up because in a way it's kind of like an upgrade from Kubrat Pulev because Perfect. you've got Wembley Stadium. The fact they're at Wembley and they've managed to get a crowd back and things like that means that hopefully AJ does his ring walks that he tends to do all the time when he's in the UK after being a champion where he walks out to flamethrowers, fireworks, and the big white stripes tune playing. And that would be a very good ring walks and everything. But the fact is, Anthony Joshua is fighting a former undisputed cruiserweight champion as his mandatory. So that would be a very good fight. And imagine the bill, the undercard bill on that. You'd be getting like people like Huey Fury and maybe even Dillian White. So if we That'd could get Dillian amazing. White on the undercard, that would be a fight that I'm not going to miss whatsoever well, to get the tickets. <laughs> well they're going to sell out quickly as soon as they're allowed to they're going to be like ticket sales going through them it <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't surprise me to be honest alright anyway kind of went off on a limb there right let's go to our number 7 now I'm pretty sure everyone's <laughs> wondering where he is now you're getting what you're asking for and again um, obviously you're going to get some biased fans of this fighter saying that we're wrong but I don't really care um yeah. Um, so sorry, bias <laughs> Fury fans, but we've got Tyson Fury as number seven on our greatest of all time list. Now, we can't deny that Fury is one of the best boxers probably ever, but he's definitely not the best. His comments against like saying he'd beat a prime Mike Tyson, that's that's all fake. I mean, can, can you can you imagine that <laughs> fight? Do you imagine what Mike Tyson would have done to Fury? Yeah, it was to the point where I feel like Fury would yeah. win the first couple of rounds points wise, but then Tyson could could literally floor Fury like three times in round three or something like that and have the fight finished. Because if you're thinking about Prime Mike Tyson, that's before he lost to Buster Douglas. And every single one of his fights, if you look him up on highlight reels, nearly every single one of them nearly were by knockout. And you see the uppercuts that Mike Tyson was throwing. They're like they could put someone in the hospital. But, I mean, and with someone like Tyson Fury, he's got all of that weight he's carrying around the ring. That would have hurt a lot more than some of the other. But anyway, so Tyson Fury's had his fair share of famous fights. We're looking at um, he had his um, pair of fights with Derek Chisora, where the first one he won by unanimous decision, where um, I'm not going to lie. I think Chisora kind of got a little bit disheartened in there because Chisora only really landed combinations on Tyson Fury when he could be bothered to put pressure on him and get him into a corner. Fury could literally easily just find his way outside of that. And 
that's kind of like where I feel like Derek Chisora kind of fell a bit short in those two fights. Um, but um, if we're moving on, the, 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 the both of those fights were the same, although that the Derek Chisora one was finished in round 10, which was different. I'm not sure if that was a knockout necessarily, mm. but I think much like Frank Bruno, I think Chisora was stopped on his feet. Um, he had a unanimous decision win over Vladimir Klitschko, which we talked about, so we won't go too much back into that. The Wilder draw, we've done that. Yeah. Right, okay, we've added this one. Now, people might be thinking, well, this isn't really a notable fight for Fury, but I think it's worth noting because um, just because of what he shoe in the ring, Tom Schwartz, have you seen clips from that one? Now, yeah, that was very sure. impressive. Tyson Fury shoe that the big man can be very elusive. And the amount of... When Schwartz got him against the ropes, the amount of hooks that Tyson Fury was dodging, oh, yeah. there was like six of them. And then he spun round, ducked, and delivered an uppercut to the body. And I'm not joking, that was a very impressive skill set from Tyson Fury. Um, and Anthony Joshua has to watch out for something like that. He was like Floyd Mayweather on the road. Yeah, basically. As, as I, a heavyweight. I don't know if I really respect Mayweather massive amounts because of the fact him saying he can beat Muhammad Ali. He, he couldn't. And we know that. And to be honest, I feel like despite the fact he retired undefeated, I do feel like he lost a couple of fights. Um, like Ricky Hatton, yeah. for instance. I feel like Ricky Hatton should have won that fight. But it was the American judges giving it to Floyd. But all right. So now mm. this one... We're not going to talk about um, the one that I've got on the last here, which was the Wilder win, because we've done that enough already. But talk about this one, Otto Wallin. Now, this was one that was expected to be a tune-up for his rematch against Deontay Wilder. Um, but it ended up being a bloody brawl because, like, I'm not joking. I don't know how that happened. I've watched that fight a couple of times. I can't see the punch that landed the cut, but it did. And literally, that cut above his eye, that really affected Fury. Like, his eye was shutting. And and the thing is, with those cuts, yeah. they don't fully go away. And it's to the point where they heal, but one fighter, if he manages to land it in the correct way in a future fight, can open that same cut up again because that's where the skin is a little bit thinner. And, well... That's, where, that's when they thought uh, Wilder would win. Well, yeah, exactly, but you can't count Tyson Fury out, and... The thing is, he proved everyone mm. wrong, and respect to him for that. He provided a very good performance. But it's yeah. like how against Otto Wallin, that I wouldn't say exposed, but it showed a couple of things about Tyson Fury. Point where he can be hurt, he can be um, hurt like injured. Tyson Fury, much like anyone else, can be hurt if he gets clipped in the right way. And I feel like Joshua. And needs to do a lot of research before he gets in the ring with Fury because he needs to apply a, a different sort of game plan. I'd say, and I have been saying this for a while, that the Anthony Joshua that stands a good chance against Tyson Fury is if he mixed his two performances against Vladimir Klitschko and Andy Ruiz in the rematch. If you mix those two up, I think that's a very good style of fighter to match Tyson Fury. Uh, I mean, hmm. just going over a little, just two key attributes we think Fury has now. It's undoubtable Fury's got resilience. Um, the amount of the amount of power put onto his chin against Deontay Wilder in the first fight, and he got up from that, didn't look bothered, and he went on to arguably win the rest of the round, despite the fact that Wilder knocked yeah. him down, which would make that a 10-8 round. So it was kind of like 
wow, that's very, very surprising. And obviously he managed to slug his way to survive against Otto Wartlin. So that shows resilience with the fact that he was constantly bleeding. Well, and undoubtedly his skill. Tyson Fury doesn't have power, but the skill he's got is incredible. The amount of um, elusive slips he can do, the fact he can get into a fighter's head in the ring, he can confuse them, throw feints. That's that's a very good thing for a fighter to have. Yeah. But um, defense. his defense, I'd say, is good mostly. Good. Mostly. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that Wilding managed to get through his defense for that cut. And Wilder knocked him down. So we'd say mm. mostly on that one. But very quick, go through his background. I yeah. forgot I had to do this. So obviously, Klitschko, he got his titles, but he would later be stripped of them when Vladimir Klitschko exercised his right to a rematch clause. And depression hit Tyson Fury, and he ate an awful lot, and he was drinking a lot. And that was when he had to leave boxing. He had a three-year fast from the sport. Um, made a comeback three years later to defeat Wilder. So it was a very impressive story. But it's to the point where Fury has mm. held Joshua's belts before. The reason Anthony Joshua has Tyson Fury's belts is they were vacant. Charles Martin, don't ask me how, won the IBF. Because <laughs> he is stupidly fighting. Can you imagine? Do you remember the gloves are off? I walk the surf like a guard. What happens? Round two, knocked out. Like, it's stupid. <laughs> but uh, regardless of that, he got the IBF. Joshua took the IBF off him, and that was the type, the only title he had going into a fight with Klitschko. And because he forfeited all of his belts and the fact that Klitschko was previously a champion with them, they put him in with Anthony Joshua to fight for those vacant titles that Tyson Fury had put up after he had to leave. And Joshua won them. So that's how Joshua has them. But t- the one thing Tyson Fury never lost was the lineal heavyweight championship. I don't know how exactly that works, but credit to him, he managed to hold on to that. All right, so number six. Now, obviously, I know these are all present-day fighters, guys, but hold us, um, hold with us. We will get there. Is um, he his number six? I, I was stuttering for some reason. I was taking a back. Um, Anthony <laughs> Joshua. Sorry. Now, obviously, I class Joshua as probably one of my best fighters just because the way he shows his status, yeah. his skill, is very impressive when I've seen his fights. There's not been a single one of his fights where he hasn't showed some skill and some success. Even in his only loss against Ruiz, he knocked Ruiz down with a lot of effort. And it was to the point where Joshua dug deep. And I'm not making excuses for him, but if people remembered watching his ring walk for that fight, Joshua looked bothered. And I don't know what it was, and I don't think you'll ever know until Joshua retires and really look. But for now... He looked very shifty. There was something wrong with AJ there, and he wasn't in it because even when he was waiting as a champion for Ruiz to come to the ring, he had his arms slouched over the ring and everything. And normally, he's like waving his hands to the fans when he's in there and everything. And we weren't seeing that from Joshua. There was something wrong. But regardless of that, he was able to get his belts back from a pretty, very good technical display. And I was very impressed with Joshua, how he didn't do what he normally does. And he goes in for a stoppage because that's how he got caught last time. He was very confident. He was very responsible. And basically, he performed a game plan of where he would fight to win rather than fight for a knockout. And that was good. But I do feel like now that he's got his belts back, 
he'll be a lot more, um, I wouldn't say cautious, but he will think about a fighter a lot more. He won't look past anyone. I do feel like he will go back to the Anthony Joshua we all know, where he, but now, he's got a lot more on his side because he's got two styles. Fury can switch from Southpaw to Orthodox. We know that. But I think that AJ, now, he's got the ability that he can be the Anthony Joshua we all know, the aggressive, pressurizing fighter. And if it's not working for him, he can, go, he can slowly and innocently, to the point where no one notices, start switching himself to what he did with Ruiz. So that's made, I think that loss has bettered Joshua as a fighter. Um, okay, so attributes, we all know he's got power. Um, well, because, well, look at Vladimir Klitschko, he was all over the place. I mean, I'm not joking. I don't think I've seen Vladimir Klitschko take that much of a beating in any of his losses. So that that shows something about Anthony Joshua. He's got very good skill. His power comes from his combinations. And to learn some of the combinations he landed against Klitschko was very impressive. It was like the hook, uppercut, hook, jab, you know, very good. And then his speed when he's doing it as well. You didn't notice AJ slow down in that last knockdown to win that fight, did you? You didn't see him slow. Yeah, it was anything. He got quicker. And everyone thought, all right, you'd have to... Um, you, you, everyone's thinking he's going to have to recover. He'll be a bit slower. No, he did the complete opposite. I was surprised. But, okay, Olympic gold medalist for England in the 2012 Olympic Games, which is even better for Joshua because that's one of the shorter sort of careers that any of these fighters have had. And he's a two-time world champion already. So that kind of shows a lot about him. First win was against the um, stupid and ridiculous Charles Martin for the IBF. Uh, did you have oh, an interesting thing? I saw an article about this, Matt, actually. Charles Martin has said to Joshua, and uh, this is obviously uh, calling him out saying he's scared of him and everything. He's saying, for everything I've done for Joshua and the fact that I didn't put up a fight means he should forfeit the IBF title, put it up vacant and let me fight Kubrat Pulev for it. And he's kind of like, yeah, all, yeah, all right. Just because you know the only way that you're going to be able to get that shot with Joshua is if you beat Kubrat Polev, which I don't even think that's a fight, to be honest. But if there was one happening, um, he'll have to beat Kubrat Polev, which he won't, he won't do. Polev will beat him in that one. And um, then if he does beat Polev, he's going to have to fight Joshua again. And everyone knew how that went last time. So that's kind of... <laughs> That's stupid. Quick, like, yeah. I'm not joking. I'm saying everything I've done for Joshua, not putting up a fight. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so we've got Dillian White. We've talked about already that that was a very, like, that was like, um, I think the tagline for that fight was bad blood. And that makes sense because Dillian White had previously beaten Anthony Joshua in the amateur leagues. So it was like Joshua wanted to that shows it. And but I'll be, I'll be honest, I feel like if mm. Dillian White faced Anthony Joshua again, I mean, I wouldn't say Dillian would win. I'd, I'd still say way. that that'd be a Joshua win, but he wouldn't knock him out. I don't think he'd knock White out now. I think, I think that would be a decision for Joshua. Because Dillian White mm. is really, he's very he's improved. And to be honest, I would like to see that as an undisputed fight rather than him against Fury. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone would really yeah. agree with me on that, but it's how... I think a fight with well, a newly improved Dillian White would be a very good fight. The problem I have with Fury is he's very good, but he's just quite boring. Yes, and I will agree with you on that. 
I don't really like. I don't really like watching. Because Fury fight. is one of those sort of people mm-hmm. that he's more of an analyzer rather than a fighter, and it's how mm. people like me and Matt we like a fight which is constant. It's it, it's con- it's like action. action. It's power. It's skill. All of that added mm. up at once. Like um, I don't know if you've seen them, Matt, but my favorite um, fights that I've seen are the Holyfield Bow Trilogy, the Derek Chisora, Dillian White two fights, Joshua against Klitschko. What do all them have in mm. common? They were all brutal slugfests. So that, yeah. that's the sort of fights I like. Um, it's probably one of the reasons I hold Joshua so highly and I hold White so highly as well. So I feel like a better fight for Undisputed would be a rematch with Dillian White. And, and I'll be honest, Matt, <laughs> I would aim to get tickets for that. I don't care where in the world. That yeah, would be in the UK. Yeah, which you would have thought Tyson Fury would have been because they're both Brits, but but it's Should not. Be, Apparently, yeah. they said it's unlikely that he'll be in the UK. And you know why, don't you? Because that's, that's Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren, they're too easily swayed by money. And, well, obviously, Saudi Arabia, which are far too expensive from the amount of oil they sell, saying, we want to host a, the undisputed fight for Brits, so they're going to slap a huge paycheck on the table and say, yeah. It literally just should be in UK. It's, it is stupid. Done. The undisputed battle of Britain in a different country, which has never happened before, and it's not in the UK. Like, it's stupid. Just sell out Wembley. That would be the yeah. best option. Because uh, that's, that's yeah. like, arguably the best stadium for any sporting event, and it's kind of the class is the home of football, everything. It's got a 90,000 capacity. And for an undisputed fight, that's going to sell out. So. I'd say the top one's pretty good as well. Well, yeah, but I do feel like for a boxing right. fight, that should still hold world title. Wembley's yeah, the but um, against, yeah. I mean, obviously, Vladimir Klitschko was fought in Wembley, and that showed how well that went. So, just you yeah, should, they well. should have done that for Tyson Fury one. But if they're not, well, that's their loss. But at least we'll get to see Usyk there, hopefully. <laughs> Okay, so Dylan White, Charles Martin, Vladimir Klitschko, Joseph Parker had a unification bout with Parker, and that was a decision win. Um, everyone's saying, oh, Joshua didn't do his best to get Parker. That isn't true at all. Parker is a tough cookie. I mean, there's a reason that he held a title and Joshua had to fight him to unify them. There's a reason for that. Because Joseph Parker was beating everyone. And he, everyone was thinking at the time that he could possibly be a contender for the Undisputed Championship. And Joseph Parker, he's, he's a real fighter. And he even fought Dillian White. And you saw how, how much of a, like a, a fight that was. The fight was never, was never going yeah. to be uh, definitely White or definitely Parker. That was constantly going between the fighters. Okay. I would say Parker's Parker Parker is definitely underrated. Um, and it's just, yeah. I feel like he's a mix of Fury and Joshua in terms of the styles. Like, the thing is, Fury doesn't throw combinations with power. Joshua does. That's what Parker does. But as well as the fainting, Parker does that as well. So I feel like he's a mix of the two fighters. So one thing I'd like to see, mm. as soon as, yeah. um, and kind of like Fury saying he's the best heavyweight of all time, well, I don't think he is. Obviously, according to our list, we don't think he is. But... It's how the thing is, I I don't accept anyone, not even AJ or any of the fighters we like. I don't accept anyone saying they're the best of all time until they become undisputed. That's when I can say, OK, you can call yourself the greatest of this time, not past time. And, well, Parker, 
I do feel like whoever becomes undisputed, that should be the first fight, Joseph Parker, because he deserves another shot at something as big as that because he was a really good fighter. But obviously, Anthony Joshua put enough pressure on him to be able to push Parker back and got him by a decision. So that was a good one. The loss against Ruiz, the, uh, the rematch, which I think Joshua did a very responsible and a very good show of skills for Ruiz. I wouldn't say it was his most exciting fight, but equally, say... it was a good fight. Yeah, I was about to say that. It wasn't like a very exciting but It was those you know fights I mean? where we, we're not used to Anthony Joshua boxing to win. We're used to him boxing for a knockout. And, well, that yeah. showed. And I think that was very responsible of Joshua because the fact he's gone and done that now means that he's got Ruiz out of the way permanently. I mean, Ruiz is never going to lose that. That's always going to be there. That's going to be his claim to fame if he ever fights any big names anymore, was the fact, oh, this guy's fighting the man to beat Joshua. That'll be on his record for a while. But the same way is the fact Ruiz is out of the Joshua circle now means he can get back to being the Joshua we know. Um, Okay, so Mm -hmm. now we're on to number five. So we're only halfway through and we're an hour in. (laughs) Oh, well... There's not really much to say about this. Well, this is good. I didn't think it would go this far, but it shows that we know what we're doing. I hope everyone enjoys and agrees with the list. Mm. Um, um, I don't think... Um, I might edit these for YouTube, potentially, depending on how long they are with photos and things. But obviously, because it's a podcast, I can't put timestamps in, so you're just going to have to skip until you hear the fighter's name you like, I suppose. Okay, so number five, mm. we've got um, Iron Mike Tyson. Now, I think everyone expected Tyson to come in at some point. Now, we put him at five for, I mean, you'll see, I know everyone's thinking he should be higher up, but you'll see what I mean as soon as we go on to some of the others. But for now, Tyson, number five. Mm. Um, So he's became a record holder, and he still is a record holder, for the youngest boxer to win a heavyweight world title. And he did that at 20 years old. That's the youngest anyone's done it. And he did that for the WBC by knocking out Trevor Berwick. And honestly, you haven't seen that, Matt? Go and see it. It's Tyson. I'm not joking. That was very impressive. Berwick threw a hook. Tyson ducked it, came underneath with a right hook. And I'm not joking. You've never seen a man fly so far across the ring. It's insane. Uh, Obviously, everyone knows Tyson as being like the powerhouse of boxing or one of them was so aggressive it was insane he he was jailed a couple of times and and it was to the point where after his first jail sentence i think he came back to boxing and his license reinstated he had to be escorted to the ring with a copper like every time and and i'm sure (laughs) i think i mean me and matt have both seen lennox fight tyson that fight but literally before the fight was even there they had to uh, diagonally across a ring put security guards in they weren't even allowed to do a face-to-face before the fight they had to have two announcers they had Jimmy Lennon and Michael Buffer in the ring at separate sides <laughs> and that and that was because Tyson weirdly went straight for Lennox at the press conference and there was a huge fight on the stage which was strange that was that was because you've seen how bad it went for Tyson it was kind of like Tyson went in yes alright he caught Lennox but Lennox put him straight on the floor <laughs> and that was bad I mean, you never want to underestimate Lennox Lewis he's a very nice guy very humble guy but don't get on his bad side because he'll go for you but absolutely tight is Lennox Lewis I think he's probably one of the best but anyways so notable fights Trevor Verwick he did that in two rounds for his first world title Larry Holmes now I've included Larry Holmes because I know people will say he's not at his best but the reason we put him in there is because of how famous Larry Holmes was 
his record arguably got made. All right, maybe he wasn't at the best stage of his career. He's at the end of it. But he became one of the few men to say that they've beaten Muhammad Ali. And the fact that Tyson got Holmes out of there in four rounds, that shows something. Tyson was an absolute tank. <laughs> but Frank Bruno as well, the, one of the best heavyweights we had in the UK at that time. One of them. Not the best we had. But um, there's TKO, five rounds. Um, again, Bruno, even against Tyson, the amount of shots he was taking, the amount of blood coming from his face, he didn't go on the canvas. He was stopped on his feet, which was very impressive for someone like Frank Bruno. And I think he fought Tyson a couple of times, actually. But okay, so then he had his first loss, which I think was very surprising, um, to Buster Douglas, or James Buster Douglas, whatever you want to say. For um, He knocked him out, KO, in round 10. And that, honestly, I wasn't expecting that. Like, I think the amount of combinations that were catching Mike Tyson, his eyes were shutting. And it was like James Buster Douglas. I mean, he even he floored Tyson. And at the time, that was unheard of. T- Mike Tyson at that time was the undisputed heavyweight champion. And he had no losses on his record. And then James Buster Douglas was expected to last four rounds against him, came in, took him out in 10. Like... That was really surprising. Now, this one is on everyone's mind. The Evander Holyfield rematch. Do you want to tell me why, Matt? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I thought you would have known this. All right, fair enough. Um, Mike Tyson was he was disqualified in three rounds and he did that because he bit and ripped a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear off and spat oh, yeah, it on the cool. canvas what the hell was that from Tyson <laughs> like I'm not joking like what the hell was that oh uh, well anyway that that um, obviously dented Tyson's reputation and then the last one we've got is the Lennox Lewis uh, TKO in the eighth round, which arguably we could say that um, literally Lewis dominated Tyson in that fight. I don't think there was a single point where Tyson looked like he had the upper hand. I mean, Lewis has a rock-solid chin and never really yeah. felt that. Um, all right, I think that's that for Mike Tyson. Number four, Evander Holyfield, the real deal. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm using their ring walk names, why not? <laughs> but all right, so he was a bronze medalist, 1984, for the Los Angeles Olympic Games for the USA. Now, actually, weird thing is, Evander Holyfield has actually been undisputed heavyweight, heavyweight champion after he was undisputed cruiserweight champion. So he's been undisputed in two weight divisions. Uh, um, he was champion in the, in the late 1980s. At cruiserweight, and in early 1990s, he was for heavyweight. His first um, title win was for cruiserweight. Dwight Muhammad Kwai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I've never heard of him. Um, by decision, this was when this was when the fights could go 15 rounds. And that was a decision for 15 rounds, and did that mm. for the WBA. But literally nowadays, the amount of health and safety around, I'm still surprised it's 12 rounds. I'm not joking. I mean, the one round these, these days, like soon, they'll be saying, you can't be punching him. That's not what boxing's about. Just... 
You can only slap. Yeah, you can only slap him. All right. So even you can't see that. <laughs> so um, the first heavyweight title fight he had, he became undisputed. So think about that. The very first heavy, he became undisputed champion, and that was mad. And that was literally, I think, he fought Uster Douglas when he took the undisputed championship off of Mike Tyson. So uh, I think even though Holyfield had two fights with Tyson, um, literally at that point, if he didn't want to fight Tyson, he didn't have to because he just took it off with Buster Douglas. Um, I do feel like Buster Douglas, he had a lot of potential, but he was like a five-minute champion, if you know what I mean. um, All right, so that's Evander Holyfield. Now, number three, we're in the top three now. Number three is Big George Foreman. That is what he's called, honestly. That's what he's called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said it. Big is, George Foreman. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> so, he's quite interested for Foreman. He won the gold medal for USA in 1968 for the Mexico City Olympic Games. His first title win was against, and I'm probably butchering this name, so sorry if you're part of this guy, uh, Gregorio <laughs> Perilata. I don't know, something like that. And... He fought for a title which doesn't exist anymore, the NABF heavyweight title. And that was his first win. But he, much like Mike Tyson, he holds a record as well, which is unbeaten to this day, for the oldest boxer to win a world title. He got a world title back and he won it for the WBA, IBF and lineal titles at age 45. That is very good because... I'm not saying that no one's ever counted out. No one, you, can, you can't count any fighter out, but typically when they get older, there's less chance of them doing something like that. So the fact that he beat mm. a champion at 45 years old was very good. And he also had some time out of the ring. He had about a year or maybe two years out of the ring before he came back to do that. So honestly, that's a very good... That's the reason he's up so high. So he did, he did Perilata in... Um, by TKO, round 10. Now, this one is good. We've got on the record. He fought Joe Frazier and knocked him out in two rounds. Now, Frazier has become famous for having a trilogy with Muhammad Ali, of which the first fight, he won. Um, he beat Ali, so the fact that he managed to get him out of there in two, that was very good for Foreman's reputation. Um, Obviously, Foreman then went on and he lost to Ali in eight rounds for the Rumble in the Jungle, probably one of the most famous fights ever. Um, and honestly, like, I still, I think Foreman did a very good job in that fight. And literally, for someone like Ali, who was a little bit um, wary that he wasn't going to be able to hold on to his title, so he was throwing lots of powerful shots, Foreman did very well to last that long. Right. He then went on to fight mm. Evander Holyfield, which I think was one of his last ones because that was like bridging the gap between his generation and the next one. And he lost mm. by decision, but that could be expected because he was getting older. Michael Mora in 10 mm. rounds because Mora had beaten, I think, two, maybe three world champions. Even And he came from nothing as well. So it was like to beat Mora was like quite good on his record. And his last ever fight was against, and I can't, I didn't write down his first name, so I can only say his surname was Briggs, and he lost that one. So, Foreman had, Shannon. oh wait, that was it, yeah, <laughs> it honestly was, Shannon Briggs. That was his last loss, <laughs> was Shannon Briggs. 
How can you forget that guy? Oh Let's my go god, he's become a joke since all of this Logan Paul can die stuff. An absolute <laughs> joke. But um, all right. So, key attribute: power. That's definite. For going in against like Ali, winning a world title at forty-five, Evander Holyfield by decision, and all that. Definitely power. Um, resilience. He could tank a decent couple of shots, and his skill. The fact that he was putting combinations together the way he was. I just think George Foreman's very worthy of being one of the best fighters of all time, and he is. All right. So, one of my favorite fighters at number two, and I honestly believe he deserves to be here, Lennox the Lion Lewis. Now, Lewis, mm. I've been sending, actually, Matt, a couple of fights here and there for Lewis. So, we've seen a, we've seen a fair couple mm. for Lennox. Um, we've both seen... Both seen Very his um, most famous fight, so Klitschko, Vitali Klitschko, is Raman, Avenge, like revenge fight, Holyfield, Ruddock, um, then Tyson, obviously. So we've seen a lot of Lewis getting in there. And, well, before we go on to it, let's discuss his key attributes. So L- Lewis had power. We cannot deny that. The amount of people <laughs> he's got out of there before the final bell was insane, Lennox. Like, literally, look what he did to Shannon Briggs. <laughs> he had him, he had him all literally. over the place. Um, literally, he's got a lot of skill as well. Lennox was very good at slipping shots and firing back with an uppercut. And I'm not joking. Definitely he's got, got a chin. very good chin. And I think, like, one of the best chins of today is Derek Chisora. But I think he outdoes Derek Chisora with his chin. That was very good. Literally, people punched him. That's why I was very surprised at his only two losses, Lennox. Because, I mean, but then again, those two guys were only five-minute champions as well. So, um, re- resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like we've just said there, and like what Matt just said there, uh, he could tank a lot of punches. It was yeah. to the point where, I'm not joking, Tyson landed a, up like a hook onto the side of his chin. What happened with Lennox? Nothing. He fired back with an uppercut and sent him stumbling. <laughs> like... You couldn't shake Lennox. Lennox never looked bothered at all. Um, but all right, mm-hmm. so we'll go on to his background before we go on to his fights because there's a lot we can talk about for his fights. He won the gold medal in yeah. 1988 Seoul Olympic Games by knocking out Riddick Bowe, representing Canada. Now, I want to touch on this. Riddick Bowe was a very good champion at the same time as Lennox. He... He uh, had a trilogy with Evander Holyfield, which saw him win the first and third fights against Holyfield. And honestly, he was a very good fighter, Riddick Bowe. Now, I still think Riddick Bowe is a bit of a pussy. Excuse my language. I honestly thought he was, (laughs) because this was to the point where Lennox was still waiting to be his first world champion. Lennox wasn't the champion yet. The first title he got was the WBC. Now, this was when Riddick Bowe held the title. And Bowe... WBC champion had mandatories. Everyone has mandatories. And the number one rated contender that he had to fight was Lennox Lewis. Now, Lennox beat Reddick Bowe for the gold medal in the Olympics. And so Bowe's a silver medalist because he's beaten by Lennox. But one thing I will have to say is that throwing your title in a bin for a publicity stunt on live television was made it blatantly obvious that you were scared to fight Lennox. What the hell? <laughs> Giving up potentially one of the biggest names on your record. But I suppose he was scared of him. Um uh, yeah, mm. so Lennox was given the title, just like that. So 
literally like Lennox didn't even have to fight for his first title. He got it. And that fight against Riddick Bowe never happens. And people still tease him to, to this day over it. Okay, so when he turned pro, represented Britain for his whole career. And his first title, WBC, um, given by Riddick Bowe, let's go on to some fights. Now, this one, I show Matt, and he was genuinely, he was very surprised when he told me when he saw this one. Donovan Razor Ruddock for a WBC title eliminator bout on Halloween. Two rounds. Eight, and Razor Ruddock was one of the people that had a very high reputation. He was like, who do I compare him to? Shall I say Dillian White? That kind of status. Wait, that was the one where he just... He did, yeah. Him, he yeah. literally did hooks. He, he threw two hooks <laughs> and floored him. And I think he was down... I think he was down oh, three yeah. times, one in the first round and twice in the second when he was stopped. That honestly, <laughs> that was wild. Like, was Ruddock even in that fight? <laughs> he wasn't no. there. Lennox just wiped him out. But all right, then moving on to his very first loss, which was very surprising. Oliver McCall, and he finished Lewis in two rounds. Now, I believe this was one of the cases where the referee had it in for Lennox because. Literally, whenever Lennox was throwing a punch, he would try and break him up. And it was kind of like, well, why? Have you got something against Lennox? And obviously waved it off first time that he was flawed, which I thought was a bit wrong. But regardless, oh yeah, yeah he had to... One. Literally, Lewis mm. chased McCall for a, for a rematch for two years because he was defended by Don King, who was uh, Mike Tyson's promoter. And... The fact he was defended for that long was, like, insane. But literally, I don't know if you've seen the rematch with McCall, but it was... Oliver McCall, he broke down in the ring. He was a crybaby. Literally, he didn't go back to his corner. He started pacing around the ring, just walking around, wasn't defending himself. He just stood there, let Lennox annihilate him. Honestly, I was just kind of like... I felt bad for Lennox because that made Lennox... People were doubting him for a while because of that. And, well, well, that's all there really is to it. Um, then he went on for, to fight for the undisputed championship of the world against Evander Holyfield. First fight ended in a draw. Now, I was disgusted when I saw that result because that was very clear that that should have been uh, a Lennox Lewis win. That was definitely a Lennox win. And I think that was because of the judge panel, <laughs> to be honest, because they were Yanks. And obviously, as you see, there's a Yank fighter in the ring. The whole Yank, well, maybe not whole Yank, but mostly Yank judge table. That was obviously, I thought that they were going to save Hollyfield, and they did. And that was disgusting. But, you know, weird thing, and I still laugh about it now. Came back for a rematch eight months later, and Lewis won that fight. But arguably, Hollyfield did more in the fight he lost than he did in the one he, he drew with. I'm like, I did, <laughs> that was all over the place. But Lennox his stuff. Right. Surprising. His second and his last loss, he only lost twice, Lewis, and that was against Hassi Rackman. In, and he did that by knockout in the um, fifth round. Now, I don't really blame Lennox for this one because um, he wanted to do something different and he wanted to replicate what Muhammad Ali did and fought in Africa. So he went and fought Hassi Rackman in Africa. And, well... That was to the point where he was undisputed. Obviously, he lost as undisputed and gotten back as undisputed. 
And, well, I don't know really know what to say. Um, because he was at a very high altitude and he was on a set for a movie as well at the time, playing himself for a cameo. So he was all over the place. And Stewart, weirdly, and I did weird superstitious stuff. He was saying, I was feeling a bit nervous that Lewis wasn't going to be able to cope with the high altitude of this fight because it was slowing him down. And he didn't. And that was very strange. But granted, he came back in a rematch um, after, obviously, um, Rackman trying to avoid him for six months because he probably knew that that was a fluke and he didn't want to pass that up again. And Lewis got him out of there with one of the most impressive knockouts I've ever seen. I'm not joking. Jab swung with a massive right hook, landed flush on the chin, and he was sparking on his back. That was massively impressive. They had to get doctors in there for Rackman. All right, we've talked about Tyson already. Now, Vitaly Klitschko, his last fight. Uh, this is a kind of a weird one to, yeah, exactly as you said, to talk about, because it was to the point where Lewis, arguably, I wouldn't say Lewis was ever very bad. He was never, he was always a good fighter, but arguably Lewis, at the tail end of his career, when things were inevitably slowing down for him, beat Klitschko at his best. Which was strange. So Lewis, I wouldn't say at his worst, but not at certainly not at his best, beat Klitschko in six rounds. And this was this was his last fight. This was the one that he fought, which Klitschko was was trying to call Lennox out for about a couple of years after he retired, saying, Oh, that you retired just so you don't have to face me again. You knew you were on thin ice, but that's ridiculous. Everyone knew Lennox would beat Klitschko. That was just how it was gonna go. But it was the fact that Klitschko I think, I don't know how he was doing it, but he looked like to me, first couple of rounds, he was winning that fight. And he was knock, 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 knocking yeah. Lennox around a bit. And then credit to Lennox, managed surprisingly score a huge uppercut. I don't know how the hell it landed on top of the eye, but regardless, he scored a huge uppercut, cut him above the eye. And obviously, well, Klitschko couldn't go on. The amount of blood, they, how much, yeah, they kept yeah, how much the cut was opening. And that was Lennox's key to success because he kept on going for that cut. And no matter how much Vaseline they were putting on that cut in the corner, that was not shutting. And I would say, though, that that would have been a good fight if that cut didn't That would have gone. I still think that would have been a Lewis. I would think that would have been a Lewis by points. But that would be one of those points where it would be yeah. Lewis Klitschko, Lewis Klitschko, Lewis Klitschko in terms of the round scoring. That would go back to the boards. So I feel mm. like what would have happened is I've could have been would have draw, either been a draw yeah. or Lennox would have only just got it. That's what I feel like probably would have happened there. But in, that was interesting. But Le, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, he was all over when the fight was stopped saying, no, you can't be doing that. Vladimir was trying to calm him down in his corner. He was going, no, we can't be doing this and everything. And then you could tell Lewis was a little bit annoyed because when he had these press thing afterwards, when he was in the ring with the microphone up to him, he was just saying, don't know what you're complaining about. I wouldn't go on with that cut. <laughs> so it's well it's true that's just it is as it is mm -hmm. but Lennox Lewis definitely has the number two spot um, because I think he was one of the best fighters that we've ever seen and for being a British fighter as well he was he stopped the trend of all the heavyweight champions being Americans and he brought fame mm -hmm. to boxing for us so that was very impressive you know weird thing is he was the first British heavyweight champion when he um, I think when he got the um undisputed championship from while well, unifying with Evander Holyfield. He became the first British heavyweight to become undisputed in a hundred years. That that is a massive thing to have on your record. 
just imagine that like you wake up in the morning and even when you're retired and you can just tell your grandkids yeah i'm the first i was the first undisputed um british heavyweight for a hundred years in a hundred a hundred years a century that is something special to have on his record but that's the reason why we're shoving Mm -hmm. at number two right now i'm going to give this one to matt Uh, I'll, i'll i'll pick you two we'll go for him quickly before we go to our number one Honourable mentions. Anyone I haven't mentioned you think could possibly be some of the greatest fighters of all time? Oh. Um, I forgot to look at some. Um, well, there's there's a lot. There's definitely a lot. But you could actually put Vitality Klitschko in there. Vitaly, yeah, yeah. He had a bit more of a bang than um, Vladimir did, but you could say that Vladimir had more skill than Vitaly, but Vitaly had a bit more power. So, yeah, he's a good honourable mention. I will, I'll put Riddick Bow in there as well. Um, just because Riddick mm. Bow, I don't know, despite what I think of him as a person for Duck and Lennox Lewis, um, regardless of all that, I mean, if you go to watch his trilogy with Holyfield, you'll see how much of a good fighter he was. And the thing is, Riddick Bow had one loss on his record. One loss. And that was Evander Holyfield for their second fight. He won every other fight he was in. That is very good for Riddick Bow. Um, But all right. um, Okay. I guess we'll go to our number one. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone saw this coming, but it's honestly the the truth. (laughs) We're not saying this because we're trying to follow stereotypes. This is genuinely me and Matt were talking about this list before we did this podcast. Um, and we honestly agree with this. I think this is honestly the real thing. Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay, whatever you want to call him. So, backgrounds. Um, I mean, obviously everyone knows who Muhammad Ali is if you're a boxing fan or not. But in terms of this stuff, it's kind of an interesting thing. He won his gold medal, the USA, in 1960 for the Rome Olympic Games. But here's an interesting thing, Matt. This was when racism was still apparent in society. And he went into a restaurant and he wasn't getting served because of his skin colour. So you know what he did? He got his um, old medal and lobbed it in the Ohio River. He lobbed his medal in the river to say, I'm a hard nut. You can't be talking to me like that because I'm black. It's like, I was like, wow, that's a statement and a half. But yeah, so. Well, not really, no. But there we go. (laughs) Okay, so. Um, he's won his first title, 1964. And he won against Sonny Liston for the WBC and WBA titles. So he got two titles at once for his first title fight, which was good. So if we go on to key attributes, now Ali has so many attributes, but we've narrowed them down, we've narrowed them down to four, <laughs> which we think work. Power, undoubtedly. He got in there with Joe Frazier a couple of times, George Foreman, Sonny Liston, all of these guys at the time who were considered the top dogs. And he was putting up a lot of power against them. So that's pretty obvious. Skill, all of the um, his famous moves, the rope dope that he was doing, which I think Tyson Fury's kind of adopted a little bit nowadays. Um, to be able to slip and slide, he did that quite a lot, which was very good. Um, all of his, his foot movement, the way he throws his jabs and his... And we've got resilience as well, um, as well as speed and all that. But that goes without saying, really, to getting into all of these yeah. guys. <laughs> so, notable wins. First one, first heavyweight title fight, Sonny Liston. Liston was a, Jesus Christ, I don't know where to start with him. He was a very good boxer. And people thought 
he was, well, I wouldn't say unbeatable because they were questioning him a little bit, but they were saying anyone who gets in the ring with Sonny Liston is going to have a hard time. But Ali went in there, sparked him out in two rounds. Everyone. <laughs> Shocked everyone. That was insane. And it created the iconic picture we all see where Ali's kind of like Sonny Liston's on the floor and he's got his arm up in everything. That one that everyone knows from Muhammad Ali. That, that was that. Yeah. It was that fight. Okay, so his first loss, unanimous decision. I think it was his first loss. I'm not sure. But it was Joe Frazier, which I'll, I'll be honest, I, I wouldn't fault Ali against that because Frazier was a great fighter. But that was a decision as well. Weren't knocked out. Um, he was in trouble a couple of times, but so was Frazier. So that was decision. Then he won again against Frazier by unanimous decision. So that's that. George Foreman knockout. We've discussed why we think already that Foreman was a brutal contender. So that a lot. Ernie mm-hmm. Shavers win by decision. Shavers is kind of like, I'd say he's a bit better than Wilder in terms of the fact he's got a little bit more skill, but he, you could you could call him the Wilder of that era. He had a lot of power behind mm. his punches, and he was very quick. So to have him on your record is a very good thing, much like it is for Tyson Fury to have someone like Wilder on his record. <laughs> so Leon Spinks, he lost that fight, and we all know that is a very famous loss for Ali. Um, then he what came back as a rematch to win against Spinks. You see a trend here, guys, don't you? He every time he lost, he come back and wins. That was the thing with Ali. That's why people consider him the greatest of all time, which he is, because he kept coming back. He never he gave, gave up, up, and that's what you shouldn't do in life. You should keep going. And the last one was Larry Holmes' loss. Now, I'm going to credit Holmes because Ali was was Muhammad Ali, and he managed to get him. But but that was towards the end of Ali's career, and. I don't know if anyone noticed, but Ali was slowing down coming into the last couple of his fights. And I think in that fight, he could have put up more defense than he did. So not making make yeah, excuses for Ali, but yeah, it was career. like one of those things where credit to Holmes. Won, yeah. And he, he could call himself one of the few that beat Muhammad Ali, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's as big a deal as it would have been if you thought him in like the middle of his career. When he was his prime, yeah, against Sonny Liston and all that. If you fought him and beat him then, then that would be a lot more credit on your behalf. Okay, guys, mm. so that's our top 10. So, rattling through who we've got, just the names. Number 10, Deontay Wilder, the bronze bomber. Number nine, Brixton body snatcher, Dillian White. Number eight, Dr. Steel Hammer, Vladimir Klitschko. Um, number seven, the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury. Number six, AJ, Anthony Joshua. Number five, Iron Mike Tyson. Number four, Evander the Real Deal Holyfield. Number three, Big George Foreman. Number two, Lennox the Lion Lewis. And number one, Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali. So that is the first ever episode of The Boxing Sector. Um... Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed it across whatever platform you're on, Spotify, Apple Music, even if you're on Anchor, which would be unbelievable because Anchor doesn't have any real people on it anyway. I'm just using it to make these things. But um, <laughs> it, whatever you're listening on, I I honestly thank you highly. And, well, yeah. I think me, me and Matt are going to enjoy doing stuff like this. We've got plenty of ideas. 
Yeah, I would say this. I'd say this is well. Yeah, it's a good one. Good one to do. Um, we were a little bit, con- yeah, we were a bit concerned that it might have been a bit of background noise, but I think we've done okay. So, <laughs> was there much? No, or not? Not really. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I'm going to save this and edit it later, or if I'm going to just do it now. I don't know what's going to happen. Don't know when you exactly are going to hear this, but you will be hearing it soon. So, um, yeah. after I go through all my editing and I think put some background music on. We hope you really enjoyed this, whatever platform you're on. We're going to go through some more ideas, although a, yeah. a definite contender for episode two could probably be top 10 most jaw-dropping moments or something like that. Like, kind, yeah, kind of like really the one which we're going to tease you with. Oh. Um, now it's like a teaser for one of the ones that will probably be in the list when someone landed a paraglider yeah. into the ring during Hot- during, <sighs> during Hollyfield and Bo's second fight. Someone landed a <laughs> and he, the paraglider fell all over the judges' table and the ringside seats, and they had so many people beating the guy up. <laughs> Honestly, that was mad. But this guy's done that before. He did it on football fields and rugby field. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be one of the ones on that list. We do it, but yeah. we'll think of some ideas. We don't know exactly when we'll be back, but you'll definitely be hearing from us soon. So, thank you for watching. This has been for the boxing sector with Luke and Matthew and just thank, thank you. you very much for um, listening, we hope you enjoy get something enjoyable out of this yep. and we'll be seeing you for episode 2 in a short period of time yep. thank, See you later. thank you for, thank watching. You for watching bye <laughs>